It was the winter of 94. I was working, I was an industrial wastewater treatment plant operator. Uh, that meant I was, I was working the second, third shift. I was a slow, sole plant operator for the five days a week. And uh, that job, it was a great job. I loved it in many, many aspects. Uh, it was uh, a great opportunity to learn new things and, and experiment and try different things. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was a great time. One of the advantages that I had in that job, especially being the sole plant operator, was between tasks, I would have downtime. If I got everything else done, I could sit there and read. Uh, I would read, I would listen to uh, sermons or uh, other radio programs. That was pre-podcasts. Uh, I didn't have a smartphone. Uh, and so I, I, everything I listened to was on the radio. But it was a great opportunity for me. I had the chance to uh, read the Bible so much during that, that time. I, I, I read to my Bible was falling apart. I read so much. It was, it was a great chance for me to encounter God and experience Him in ways I never had. I had just come to Christ. Well, one night in that winter of... Uh, one night God in, revealed Himself in a way to me I had never known. I was sitting there reading through, and I was up to Isaiah at this time. I'll be getting to this passage a little later on in the message today. But I gotten up to Isaiah chapter 6, and while in that section there, Isaiah was in his vision taken before God into the throne room of God. And while he's there, God is talking about the need for the message of him, his love, to be able to get out there. And he asked the question, who will go? Next thing I knew, I found myself on my knees there in the room praying, and, and I was answering God. I had just encountered God in an amazing way. I had encountered our transcendent God, and I was moved. And that event, that night, that, that time reading the Bible and in that time in prayer, it changed the entire course of my life. My life was nothing after that like it was before. God stepped into my life, into my world, and revealed Himself in a new way to me. You see, the reality is, the truth that I discovered there, the reality is we cannot encounter God and not be changed. We can't have a genuine encounter with God and not be changed. Paul, in writing to his young protege, Timothy, he talked about God's transcendence. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 15 and 16, this is where we catch this glimpse of what he's talking about there. Paul wrote this. He says, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to Him be honor and might forever. Amen. Paul was explaining to young Timothy about God's transcendence. See, being transcendent means that God is above us, above everything, actually. He is beyond us, or beyond, beyond everything. God is so much farther removed from us than what we could begin to comprehend. Remember, we talked about how God is infinite. He is infinitely removed from us. This is God. God being transcendent also means, as you've heard me say so far in this series of conversations several times, that there is no way we could begin to even understand about that God exists, let alone know Him, if it was not for Him revealing Himself. That, that's that aspect of His transcendence. He is so far removed. If it wasn't for Him revealing Himself, we wouldn't know Him. However, 
as we talked about already, God is imminent. That means that he is close at hand. And so we have this, God is transcendent. He is far and above and beyond us. And God is imminent. He is close at hand. So how do we reconcile those two things? How is it that we can come to grips with God being close at hand while at the same time being transcendent? Well, when, it, when we do come in contact with that imminent God that we have and we experience the, His transcendence, it results in our being changed. When we realize how far above us He is, how holy He is, how good He is, we will be changed. God is, as I said, He's infinitely above us, infinitely more holy than us, infinitely more good than us. And when that reality invades our life, as I said, we must be changed. It's a lot like when, when I'm working with um, uh, steel in the forge, how I'll keep a bucket of water next to me, the water cool and still. Part of uh, the, the tempering of metal sometimes includes cooling the metal quickly. So I'll heat the metal up in the forge, get it glowing hot, and then stick it into that nice, cool, still water, and instantly things change. When that cool water comes in contact with a glowing hot steel, it cannot help but be changed. It changes from that smooth surface to a rolling boil around the metal. It's changed. It's never the same again. When, when us human beings encounter God, it's a lot like that. Our life is changed from what it was to something new. Humans, you see, just like that water, cannot encounter God and not be changed. But unfortunately, many believers go through life without ever encountering God, without ever experiencing even a sliver of God's transcendence. Moses, who already knew God, he asked to see God, and God in His wisdom only allowed Moses to see a glimpse of who He was. A glimpse of, well, an aspect of His transcendence. Moses was changed. Moses' repeated encounters with God caused his face to glow. Well, I've never had my face glow. I have been changed because of my encounter with God. God breaking in on our conscious minds, it's like that hot steel into that cool water. And if we've never experienced a significant encounter with God, I would have to ask why not? Why not? Why haven't? If you've never encountered God, why haven't you? Because God is still showing Himself to us like that. It might be because, as you heard me talk about uh, a while back when I was talking about God's infinity and how uh, when I was working in my garage, how while the power plant has all the power I need to power those power tools, there is a circuit breaker which limited the amount of power they could get through. Maybe there's something about our life that is limiting how much of God can get through. A.W. Tozer in The Pursuit of God, he said that we have as much of God as we want. Maybe, maybe what we've done is we've said, God, I want you to this part right here, this far, no farther. You can have my life up to that point. This over here, I can keep that for myself. Maybe that's why we haven't encountered God. 
Maybe there's something in our life that is a circuit breaker of sorts that prevents us from encountering God. See, we have to remember, position changes passions. Position changes passions. When we see our position before our transcendent God, it will change our passions for life. And not everybody will be called like he called me into full-time ministry through that encounter I had. But God will call you to something nonetheless. God will call you to something when you encounter, because God doesn't reveal himself for no reason. It's always so that we can be changed and become what he created us to be. When we experience our transcendent God, as you've heard me say multiple times already, it changes us. There's many ways that we will be transformed by that encounter. And unfortunately, we don't have time to get into all of them this morning. I want us to highlight three specific ways that really cover a a wide latitude of life. Three ways that we can encounter our transcendent God that will result in a changed life. So let's jump into this this morning. Look at how these these three areas, they talk about our position before God and how it is that that will change our passions. First of all, when we encounter our transcendent God, we will feel the insignificance of our being. When we encounter our transcendent God, we will feel the insignificance of our being. I know what you're thinking. Russ, this is church. You're supposed to only say the good stuff. Not, not make me feel insignificant. But this is the reality. We cannot encounter our transcendent God without recognizing our own significance in comparison with Him. Now don't get me wrong. We have more value to God than what we could begin to understand. Remember, God is infinite. That means His love for you as an individual person is more than you could begin to fathom. Your value to Him is immense. And that's an understatement. But compared to God, compared to God's transcendence, He's infinitely transcendent, we are insignificant. 1 Corinthians 8.1, Paul wrote these words. He says, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. This almost gives the picture as if Christians shouldn't be thinking, but that is so far from the truth. That is so far from the truth. God expects His people to engage their brains. In other words, He expects His people to be thinking people. Over and over in the Bible, you catch this picture of God expecting His people to grow in their understanding of Him. I mean, you go all the way back to creation, and when God told Adam and Eve to go out and subdue the earth, that had to do with understanding and even harnessing the power of the Adam. God expects His people to use the brain that He has given them. And we're told in the New Testament to renew our minds, to mature in our thinking to grow in our understanding of God. No, God expects His people to think, to grow in their understanding of Him and the world around them. We have to be careful, though. We have to be careful that our knowledge doesn't cause or bring about arrogance. That we don't think that we are more than we are. 
There was a book in my, from my early days of college. Uh, I just recently went back, went back and reread, and I had to laugh when I reread it uh, because I was thinking, when I first read this book in college, I thought it was boring as all get up. But when I read it again, I realized the significance of it and the value in it, and it was a very engaging book. The title makes you think that will be a boring read. The title of the book was A Young Exercise for Young Theologians. <laughs> Doesn't sound very exciting, but I wanted to reread it again. I like to go back every now and then and reread my books. At the beginning of the book, though, he starts, the author does, uh, he starts with a story uh, about a, a young. Uh, a young man who is teaching, leading Bible studies with his peers. And his peers were, were in those uh, Bible studies that he was uh, leading, and they were gaining much, they were growing in their faith, and they loved being around him uh, because he was passing so much on to them, instilling so much into their lives. Well, the day came when uh, he realized that God had called him into full-time ministry, so he went off to Bible college, and, and while he was there, uh, he, he learned all sorts of new stuff. And one day, after a while of being at Bible college, he was back home again, and, and he was leading a Bible study to his peers. But this time, this time things had changed. This time, he was using words and terms that they'd never heard of, and he was, well, he was talking in a way that they couldn't even begin to understand. He went on, as the author uh, pointed out, he went on to, to label them and their beliefs in certain ways, and it further made them feel like they were more and more insignificant. He wasn't the same person as he was before. His knowledge had created a distance between them and him, and no longer was he able to relate with them. There's a danger. I know I've seen it many times. Uh, myself, I fell into that category. I went off to Bible college and I had all these terms and knowledge and I thought, wow, I know so much. And I watch students who go off to Bible college in the first few years, yeah, their head swells a little. Somewhere along the line though, we come in an understanding that God is a little bigger than us. And our understandings are not even close to where they should be. You know, that's a danger, though, uh, what, what the author talked about. That's a danger that all of us have a, a possibility of running into, whether we go to Bible college or not. All of us have that possibility and that danger of gaining some knowledge and, well, the knowledge going to our heads, making us maybe arrogant. I mean, in my years in ministry, I've known people who get just a little bit of Bible knowledge, and then they go around beating people with Bible clubs and shooting people with Bible guns. They, they beat people with their knowledge and make others feel insignificant and lesser than. And the result is, people are kind of turned away because they're less friendly, less loving, they forget that the core of Jesus' message is about loving God and loving others. We have to be careful that we don't allow our understanding of things to cause us to become arrogant in our thinking. Knowing more about God, it should always point us to the end of loving God and loving others more. But that's our choice as to how we take that knowledge. We also have to be careful that we, in our growing knowledge of God, that we should all be having, that we don't inadvertently put God into a box. You know what I'm talking about there? It's when we, we think of God as He only works within this framework of, of ideas. 
I'll give this example. First church I preached in, God had already worked in, in, in our lives many ways. We had prayed and seen God work. We pray and God answers a prayer. Pray and God answers a prayer in significant, tangible ways. And not, not just happenstance. Wow, that's nice how it worked out. Could have been God, maybe not. But no, we ask for specifics and God answers with specifics. Every prayer? No, but many. And in talking with people in that first church I was in, sharing about how we had seen God work in our lives. And I had one person say to me, she looked at me and she said, well, that's good for you, but God doesn't work that way here. Really? God doesn't work that way here. God was living within a box of hers, and she wasn't expecting God to work outside of that. But what do you do when you have situations like that where God actually steps in and answers prayers? Maybe we think that God isn't active anymore. Maybe we think that God isn't actively involved in our world anymore. But what do you do when you see lives changed? Like when I was preaching at the church in Arkansas and God brought those people out of drug and alcohol rehab and those who gave their lives to Christ, I watched as their lives changed. God was actively involved there. God is actively involved. But if we, if we think that our knowledge of God is fully come to a, a full understanding of God in this area, we put God in a box, but God is infinite. He doesn't live within our boxes. He doesn't operate within our simple understandings. God is greater than that. He'll never contradict what Scripture teaches. Don't ever think that He'll work in a way other than the Bible teaches. But understand, God is bigger than our best understanding of Him. See, the arrogant side of knowledge sometimes also puts others lower than ourselves. We view other people as lesser because they don't possess the same knowledge we do. When I was doing the church plant down in the Memphis area, quite often we would go to lunch with several people from church to a Mexican restaurant there in the Bartlett area of the Memphis metropolitan area. And uh, I'm a people watcher. I, everywhere I go, I'm always watching people. I love, I love to see how people interact and what they do. And yes, I eavesdrop on conversations. Because I love to understand how people perceive the world around them. I just love doing that. And, and it, was, it was sad how many times while sitting there in that restaurant, um, in that area, a lot of the, the churches, especially the Baptist ones, the people love to dress up on Sunday morning. Nothing against that. Feel free to. But these people, they always dressed in a suit. And they would come in in their you know, very nice suit and they would sit down and you'd hear them talking about church and, and the sermon and the songs and how good things were. But then, because I'm a people watcher, I would watch them as they looked at other patrons in the restaurant. In that church, it wasn't uncommon during the summer, I would often preach in shorts and flip-flops, which that was unacceptable. And I would watch as they watched people, and they would give that look of almost disgust. These people, look at how they're dressed. You'd hear comments and, and conversations. And the waitress, they would talk about the sermon and the songs, and the waitress would come up, and they would treat the waitress like dirt. Missing, missing things here. Their, their knowledge of God puffed them up. They thought that because they knew God, they were better than those people around. I don't know what they were thinking, really. I'm basing it 100% on my watching of their, their reactions. I'm not going to claim to know what they were thinking because only God knows their thoughts, not me. 
but their actions indicated an attitude of superiority. Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome in Romans 12:3, "Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment." A saved person you see is no greater than an unsaved person. The only difference between a saved person and an unsaved person is the blood of Christ has been applied to the saved person. And I'll tell you what, that was nothing to do with themselves. All that they did was choose to love God. That is nothing to consider yourselves as superior. Didn't do anything to earn that salvation. God did it. All that the saved person did was go to God to receive it. See, when we realize that God is beyond us, that God is transcendent, things change. We begin to look at the world through a different set of eyes. You know, the, uh, one of the antonyms of arrogant is humble. Repeatedly throughout the Bible, God urges us to be humble. Humble before other people, humble before Him. We cannot encounter God and be arrogant. We can only encounter God and end up being humble. And as we encounter our transcendent God, we will be humbled. As a matter of fact, Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9-11, through 11, that one day when Jesus returns, every knee will bow. In other words, every single human being will be humbled before God. That is, believer and non-believer. So there will be a day when God forces humility forces all humanity to humble themselves before Him. So what we do is we need to make sure we humble ourselves now before God. And when we encounter our transcendent God, we will be humbled. There will be no other option. James wrote in James 4.6, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. When we choose to humble ourselves before God, God gives grace. He extends His grace to those who choose to humble themselves before Him. And that humility, it comes as we recognize God for who He really is. When we encounter our transcendent God, when we do that, we will see who we are compared to Him. And we'll see that we really are insignificant compared to Him. It will push us then, that recognition of our, of our insignificance, it will push us to know God more, not know Him less. That insignificance that we feel, it won't drive us away from God, it will drive us to Him. It will cause us to see that He really is infinitely loving. And He wants us to love Him. It will push us to want to know Him more. To engage our mind. To engage our heart. To engage our entire body. In other words, it's a whole lot like what Jesus was talking about when He said that we are to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Encountering that transcendent God that He is, it humbles us. You see, this is where that position changes passion. When we position ourselves in a position of humility before God, it changes our passions, those things we pursue. It causes us to change the course of our life. That knowledge of God will create a hunger for God. 
and a better appreciation as well of others. Secondly, when we encounter our transcendent God, we will realize that we are weak. I know, second time now, I've talked about how bad we are. We're insignificant. Now we're weak. But when we encounter our transcendent God, that is one of those things that we won't be able to avoid. We will realize that we really are weak compared to God. Our world doesn't value weakness, does it? Unless, of course, it's to point out weakness in other people. We, we love as a humanity, uh, not just Americans, but we love to point out other people's failures, other people's shortcomings, other people's mistakes. We love that. Paul writing to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, 9-10. Paul had a different philosophy, though, when it came to weakness. He said, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul said he delights in his weaknesses. He realized that when he admitted that he really was weak before our all-powerful God, our transcendent God, when he acknowledged where he really was, then, then he was strong. Because God's power came through. Strength came about. He wanted more of God to shine through his life than what his life was shining through. He realized that, yeah, in and of himself, he is weak. He's going to fall short. He's going to fail. Because that's who he is. But in, in God, in God, that's where we find our strength. When we encounter our transcendent God, we will realize His strength and our weakness. But did you know the inverse of that? The reverse of that is true. That when we think that we are strong, the reality is we are extremely weak. Just about the time we think we got it all together. No, that's when we're displaying our weakness. Probably the most evident. See, just about the time, I don't know about you, but I know this is true for me, just about the time that I think I finally conquered that sin I've been battling with, got it. I got a handle on this. I'm ready to go forward and boom, fall on my face again. Maybe you're not that way. Maybe you're much better than me on that. Maybe you are able to conquer those sins and move on without ever finding yourself falling back into them again. But every time I think I'm strong versus those sins, right back there again. About the time that I think that I've got life going in the direction it should be going again, inevitably for some dumb reason I don't have an answer for. Maybe you're not like me, but I know I am. What I end up doing is I end up talking to God a little bit less about those circumstances and situations because I got a handle on it. I'm, I'm doing well. And guess what? At least for me, life goes off the rails once more. I, I am... I am pushed over to that, that reality of realizing, you know what, I really am weak. I can't do this on my own. 
Jesus, he was very right when he said that if we want to be able to do anything for the kingdom, that we have to make sure that we are connected to him. That the branch disconnected from the vine cannot produce fruit. The only way the branch can produce fruit is if it is connected to the vine and the life of the vine is flowing through the branch. The same is true for us as Christ followers. We cannot live the life that God has called us to live if we are not in intimate connection with him close connection with him which includes recognizing god's transcendence only in that time only when we are remaining connected to him can we find the strength that we really need we're not strong enough to be that branch disconnected from the vine and doing it on our own we can't apart from him we are weak apart from him We won't be able to do what He created us to be able to do or be. But when we turn to Jesus, we have to remember this reality for us, it's a component in here. When we turn to Jesus, this must be part of our turning. At some point, we must recognize that we really are weak. And Jesus is strong. We must realize that there is no way we can save ourselves. We can't be good enough. We can't do enough good into life. We can't do anything on our own to earn our salvation. The only thing that we do is choose to accept God's gift by loving God. By going through Jesus. That is the only part that we do. Our salvation is not based on anything we do. We are weak. That must be a component of our turning to God. If we think that we're all that in a bag of chips, understand one day we are going to be we are going to be humbled before God. God is greater than us. He is transcendent. When we encounter our transcendent God and see how much it is that He really is beyond us, we will clearly see our weaknesses. We will see that we can't do it on our own. We can't save ourselves. We can't live holy lives. We can't be what it is He's called us to be on our own. Why? Because we are weak. But He is strong. And God wants to work through you and I to help us to be what He has created us to be. God is strong. This realization of God's strength and our weakness, it'll change us. We should then realize and begin to adjust our life so that we love Him more as we realize that we are weak and He is strong. We should adjust our life so that we know Him more. We should adjust our life so that we live for Him more. When we recognize that we are weak and He is strong, we don't become weaklings hiding in a corner. Rather, we step out boldly and so that we can see God's strength flowing into and through us. And then, and then we get to display God's strength to the people around us. You see, yet again, position changes passions. God is transcendent. He is beyond us. He is above us. When we position ourselves as the weak person before the all-powerful person, God, when we position ourselves, it changes our passions so our life is turned upside down and we live how God has called us to be. And we allow God's strength to flow through us. 
Finally, when we encounter our transcendent God, we are filled with a sense of dread. Yeah, when we, when we encounter our transcendent God, we should be filled with a sense of dread. Because we realize, we realize who we really are. That we aren't all that. We're not as good as we think we are. We're not as, as holy as we think we are. We're not as righteous as we think we are. We really are sinners before God. We're filled with dread because of that reality. That passage I was talking about earlier when God allowed me a glimpse at His transcendence, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1-5. through I want to read that this morning for us. It's where, where I encountered an aspect of God's transcendence, but Isaiah did too. Listen to Isaiah's reaction as he encountered God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of His robe filled the temple. I want to pause there for a moment. Those are word pictures to help us to grasp the greatness of God. His, uh, the train of His robe. It's pointing to things like His royalty, His dignity, His holiness. It was so big, word picture, not reality, that it filled the whole temple. God, He's beyond our comprehension. Continuing on. Above Him were seraphim each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. God is so transcendent that the earth is filled with His glory. In, in Bible times, when something was written down or said three times in a row, it's pointing to significance. These angels, these seraphim, no, not those little cute baby things with wings. These seraphim, they, they were flying and they had two wings that covered their faces. They realized God's greatness, His transcendence, His holiness. God is beyond them. They couldn't even look at Him. They're calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah, he came to that realization. He, his, his minute self, is there before the transcendent God. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He just had an encounter with our transcendent God. Isaiah was filled with dread because of that encounter. He realized he was a sinner and he lived among people who were sinners and he was ruined. Life was over. God is that. He is transcendent. When we encounter Him, it changes us. Isaiah realized that he was a sinner and God is holy. He saw God for His perfection, His greatness. He encountered God's transcendence. And that vision, he caused him to cry out, I am ruined. Allow me to be so bold as to say a statement here that might cause us to consider some thoughts about ourselves if you call yourself a Christ follower. If you have not encountered God's transcendence, 
If you have not been filled with a sense of dread at your own sin, I would ask you, are you sure you've encountered God? Because if we don't see ourselves as a sinner as we are, then we haven't seen God for the transcendent God that He is. Because if we see ourselves as a sinner as we are, we'll be filled with a sense of dread at our sin, at who we are. We need to realize this in order to be saved. It's a core component of salvation. That's a part of what repentance is about. It is realizing, I am a sinner. And not just, yeah, I'm sure I probably did some bad stuff. But no, I am a sinner before a transcendent, holy God. We should be filled with a sense of dread in order to come to Him. As a matter of fact, John wrote in 1 John that if we claim to be without sin, in other words, if we don't recognize that we are sinners before God, then really what we're doing is we're calling God a liar. We have to recognize this. This is part of turning to Him. You know, we often think about that in terms of the, the coming to Christ aspect. But did you know, even as if you call yourself a Christ follower, we need to recognize this on a regular basis. We need to experience that sense of dread at our sinfulness before our transcendent God. Because if we don't, we can become arrogant in our salvation. We can stop extending the same grace that we want to receive from God to the people around us. We may fail when we fail to see our position before God, when we fail to see God's transcendence regularly, we may think, we may think that we're better. Kind of like the story I shared about that restaurant. We may view other people as lesser than ourselves. It may become easy for us to, to quickly point out other people's failures. It'll be easy for us to recall their mistakes. We'll be quick to jump on their sins. Well, all the while overlooking our own. Or maybe if we do, we'll say, oh yeah, yeah, I've got problems too. But we do nothing about changing that. We just want to point out everybody else's mistakes. Because we fail to see, we fail to position ourselves before our transcendent God so that we are filled with that sense of dread at our sin. At our sinfulness. We are sinners saved by grace. That doesn't mean we stop sinning. We still sin. As a Christ follower, you should be sinning less, but we are none of us sinless. And if we forget that, we can become arrogant in our own salvation. Cause us to see ourselves as if we were not that sinner. cause us to see people who are different from us, especially those who aren't saved, but people who are different from us, as lesser. That church in Arkansas I talked about, there were, there were a few people in that church who looked down at those people who came out of the drug and alcohol rehab because they didn't have their life together yet. They looked down on them and, and actually quite literally, they chased them out of the church. They, by their actions, were conveying that they thought they were better 
You see, when we fail to realize our sinfulness, we think that we're better than we are. Position, position changes passions, though. When we recognize our position before our transcendent God, that we are sinners, it changes our passions. No longer do we love what we loved before. No longer do we see the world the same way. Everything changes. Our passions change. When we recognize our position before our transcendent God, life is different. We need to be filled with that sense of dread at our own sin. Position changes passion. How we position ourselves in life changes our passions for life. What it is that we will pursue, what it is that we will love, what it is that we will fight for, and on and on. Our position changes our passion. There's various things that we can do to position ourselves to recognize God's transcendence more and, and maybe even have an encounter with God like, like what I had. And again, I'm not saying everybody's going to be called into pastoral ministry, but there should be change in our life as we experience God's transcendence. Even if it's just, just a small piece. And there's things that we can do, practices that we can do to position ourselves in such a way as to have that encounter. To be able to see those, those ways we just talked about a little better. There's, there's several different ones, but, but three key ones I want us to focus on our homework for this week. First of all is carve out some time. Make the time to spend with God studying His Word, reading His Word. Make that a priority for life if it is not already. And if it is already, try to carve out some more time to spend with Him in His Word. God reveals Himself through His Word. You know God through His Word. We cannot know God apart from His revelation, and His Word is His revelation of Himself. Make the time to spend with God, to position yourself before Him through His Word. Add to that. Do it in conjunction with that. Carve out some time. Make it a priority to talk with God. That's prayer. To pray with God more often. Talking with Him. It positions you before our transcendent God so that you have a better chance of encountering Him. You're positioning yourself so that you recognize who you are before our transcendent God. But then thirdly, don't overlook the value and the importance, let me put it a different way, the significance of gathering together with other believers on a regular basis. We're commanded in the New Testament to not give up this. To regularly meet with other believers for the purpose of encouraging and being encouraged. This is another way that we can position ourselves to be in that place to encounter our transcendent God. God wants us to know Him and to know Him fully. The cool thing is God is infinite. We'll never fully know Him. But that should never stop us. He reveals Himself so that we will pursue Him more. So position yourself before Him so you can encounter His transcendence so that you can be changed as well. 